And to buy ingredients for the best damned apple crumble a mouth has ever devoured. <laughs> We're talking about that health insurance hustle, the tempting temptation, the old desk job dalliance. We are your hosts, Jamie Parker Stickle. And Jason Bieber. And on this episode, we are talking to not only an actress, but also a writer. And a producer. And because we don't have a professional Zoom account, we had to find one person who was all of those things. Get it? Yeah, I get it. Because, <laughs> okay. Because we couldn't have, like, <laughs> it would be a 40-minute podcast. We usually do an hour. I am just, like, really excited to welcome um, this actress to the show because I honestly feel like she's my kindred spirit. I haven't stopped talking about her since Thanksgiving <laughs> and asking her to do things in my world i'm like hey you want to do this hey would you come do this and finally she said yeah well, she said yes every time but this yeah. time but this time i've been bugging the hell out of her she's so amazing lynn wachter lynn wachter everybody <laughs> okay so <laughs> hi it took forever for me <laughs> oh my god it took so much uh self-control and restraint for me not to bust out laughing when you said that um Hi, and I have been wanting to work with you. I just life was doing life, and I were not having a good time, and so uh, you know we were. And you're being very brave. You've been through a lot, and we don't have. We can talk about it. We don't have to talk about it. But I am so impressed by your heart, your tenacity, your power to just like be there, be everything to everyone, and be responsive. It's like amazing. She's shrugging her shoulders like, what else am I going to do? She's like, she'll love the superhero. I'm just Honestly, I don't necessarily feel like I'm, I'm terribly responsive. I, I'm trying to be better because, you know, previously on Lynn, as I used to, as I always say, previously on me, <laughs> last season on Lynn, this shit would have gone down entirely, like, way different. So I'm trying to be better about communicating with people when I'm unable to engage in a particular way. Uh, <clears throat> and I don't know that that's, that I've been entirely successful. I've tried. So, like but I've, I've always been, uh, I was so, uh, excited and flattered when you first reached out to me about the project. And I was like, oh my God, wait, my world is imploding. I can't, but I want to play, but I don't know that I have it in me to play because it would all just be dark and twisted and everybody would sob and it would be terrible. So I opted not to. Right. That would have been bad. Uh, <laughs> it would have been bad. So I wanted to um, just, you know, give hopefully myself and life a moment to settle a bit and then be able to, to engage with you guys. And I was so happy and, and thrilled that you reached out to me again. I really was. Oh, well, we're going to keep oh, reaching out. Yeah, we're not done. We're just giving you space to deal with some stuff because um, <laughs> we're trying to be polite. Uh, and that's only happened since we had a child where we were like, oh, people have heavy responsibility. I get it now. Um, which is really funny, but I, okay, we're going to talk about all of your side hustles, but I have to tell you, um, that your IMD page really intimidates me, number one. And number two, your show, um, This Can't Be My Life. Makes oh me God. laugh out loud like <laughs> nothing else. 
Like, I just, like, literally guffaw, and I'm so, like... So, so funny. Okay, first of all, I am, right now, as you can see, no one else, as they're listening, <laughs> they can't see the fact that my jaw dropped, and then I covered my face because... I cannot believe that you actually watched it. I didn't mention it at all because oh, it's no. probably like it's not- my favorite show ever and I don't understand why it's not on HBO Max right now. I want to write for you like nothing else. Like my heart is like, I told Jason Bieber after one two minute episode, I was like, oh my God, I have to write for this show. Let's talk about how you started with, um, is it Warner? Who Warner Media, but it was Warner. Turner at first. It was okay. Turner at first. So you started, you joined a temp agency. I joined a temp agency. Which one? <laughs> it was, it's called Executive Temp. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it's called Executive Temp. And they were really lovely and warm and open. And I had to go and like take a test and interview with folks and whatever. And, you know, but before Executive Temp, to give you a little background, like, my time in New York, when I got off tour, after I was in Stop, and I got off tour, and I wanted to go back to New York, and I was doing the show in New York, mm. I, um, I was feeling restless, because I did the show in the evening, and all of my friends there had all, they had already been living there, and had created lives for themselves during the day, and I didn't have a life for myself during the day, because my life that I knew outside of Stop was me as an actor. And as an actor, you rehearse, but you rehearse in the evening. But I couldn't, uh, I couldn't commit to rehearsing in the evening because I was committed to this off-Broadway show that I was doing. Yeah, I was doing six out of the eight shows a week, seven sometimes, sometimes eight, depending on if somebody was hurt. But ultimately, I knew I was committed to doing six shows a week, right? I knew my Mondays were off. But the rest of the week was the rest of the week. I didn't know in what combination of shows I was going to be in until any given moment, like until the, until the schedule came out. Even before I moved to New York, I always ended up working in offices somehow. Like in Baltimore, when I was a teenager, I always ended up in somebody's random office. A bitch can answer a phone. This is what I know about me. A heifer can answer a motherfucking phone. I can be like... Give me the name of your company. Tell me. Give me the name of your company. Tell me right now. Envision Enterprises. This is this. I'm this bitch. Envision Enterprises. How may I help you? Envision Enterprises. How may I direct your call? Envision Envision <laughs> Enterprises. <laughs> Envision Enterprises. That I was always that. I could be. Like, all day I long. could be all day long, and I realized that oh shit, people actually want that, and they right. like that. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have to so, do a switchboard though? Where you were aunt, like, I did. I couldn't do oh, that. I, did. I, I would, I would be like, I, my ass was like, facilities management. Facilities <laughs> management, would you please hold? Facilities management, would you please hold? Facilities <laughs> management, this is Lynn speaking. Facilities management, please hold. Yeah, I was, I was that woman. And, I failed. And, but I was, but when it started, I was a teenager and I didn't really know what that skill was. And then when I moved to New York and you know, I went to school and whatever, and stomp happened and all of this. And then knowing, basically what I'm getting to is like not realizing that you have a skill. Like, no, like there's a skill that, that's there that you don't realize yeah. that you have until there's a day that it's called upon, right? And so I, that was happening. And then I moved to New York and then stomp was happening. And I was like, yes, I'm an actor. I'm an artist. Yes, look at me. I'm an artist. And then suddenly it was like, well, bitch, what, what else are you going to do to make the bill? Clerk because this New York pay is different than this tour pay. Yeah. Tour pay was real, real cute. 
But this New York pay is looking real thin. Like, oh. what's good, Miley? What's good? And I was like, I can be a receptionist. I can do lot, loads of things. I ended up being a receptionist at a law firm um, in the financial district. And that happened. Okay. And I learned how to, I learned how to like decipher lawyer handwriting, which was terrible and chicken scratch and weird because I had to input their hours. Oh like they would God. hand me all these handwritten slips that were like this thick and I would have to input their hours. Oh no. And answer the phone and, and field and field calls. No, but I was in the financial district. And so the fact that I wasn't even working during 9-11 and this was all at the same time where I was working in stomp. So my stomp days, my, my days as a, as a performer didn't start until 6.30 p.m. Because that's when I had to be on stage for rehearsal. So anything I did before then was whatever it was. So if I worked from 8.30 to 5.30, if I worked from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., as long as I got my ass and I was that on stage train. for rehearsal, right, as long as I was on stage for rehearsal at 6.30 p.m., for rehearsal for for the show it didn't matter what i did before then so i did so many other things i was a receptionist at a law firm and like during the 9-11 but i was a teaching artist like i worked i i worked in the bronx where i had to be in the bronx at 8 a.m oh my gosh from brooklyn and i would teach and i was a teaching artist and so we taught like conflict resolution and things like that to, to kids and then i would like hunker down and nap it out in the office in Midtown before I had to like go downtown to do the show at night. And so I was doing those things. And then I was a, I was a, um, I was an office manager for a post-production sound house in New York. And that's how I got my very first VO gig. That's a responsibility job. Well, because I was, I was scheduling the office time. I was scheduling the studio time for the engineers and the clients. And that was, that's, that's what I did. I scheduled the engineering time or the times for the engineers and the clients and, you know, getting the clients lunches and whatever. My very first VO gig that anybody could ever hear. Because there were a couple of other regional commercials that I did that nobody knows that I never got credit for. Mm-hmm. Because what would happen was the client would come in, they would do the thing. The VO people would leave. The client would still be there. They would be unhappy with it. The engineer would call me and say, Lynn, I know you're an actor. Can you do a Southern accent? I'm like, Southern, what, what kind of Southern? Well, we just need something, blah, blah, blah. And I'd step in the booth and I'd give them a couple of reasons. I'm like, that's great. That's great. I'm like, cool. Can I put this on my resume? No, no, no. Because the client can't know. Sign off on you. The client signed off on this other person. Oh. So this, these are the managers and directors who are who are wanting their bosses to be happy, but realizing that what they got from those actors was not what they wanted. That is some shady and so they're shit. scrambling, right? They're scrambling. And the, the, the engineers are like, man, let me, let me, let me call my friend and let me just see what this, how this works. And they're like, oh my God, we love it. We'll send this up the chain. I've heard my voice on two regional commercials in New York that I did not get credit for. They paid you though, right? Ago. Did they pay you? What did you say? No, this was years ago. I was just working at the studio, get and I didn't get paid for it. No, but I, I didn't get. But paid she for was twenty, young twenties. I would feel the same. I would like just yeah. be excited to have been offered and like show that I'm a good sport and hope that they actually book me. I couldn't actually fight them on it. There's a part of me that was like, I would just like, and I said, look, I'm not trying to get paid. I just want to use it on my resume. And they're like, oh, you can't really like tell anybody that you did this. And I'm like, fuck. No, you can't have me but, tell anybody I did but, this. But. 
I will tell you this. If you listen to, if you go watch Mysticals, Bouncing Back video, and the nurse's voice over the PA system, that's your girl. I'm writing it down right now. Okay, everyone. I want to just tell everyone who's listening right now um, um, that Lynn was a successful actress in a very successful show called Stomp and still had to hustle during the day to make money, to pay rent, to make food, to like... I was in Stomp from 96 until... Technically, like for real, for real, when I finally left the show was probably 2008. Well, I did okay. 96 to 2004. And that was like four years on, I did tour and then I did New York and I moved to LA in 2004. Like, fuck it, I'm moving to LA. I moved to LA, but then even while I was here, I was doing, um, here in LA, I would go to cover people on tour. I would go to New York. I went to Brazil again. That was my, my second time in Brazil. and. Um, and I went to Vegas and I covered the show in Vegas. Um, so I stopped officially doing stomp after <laughs> many, many injuries. And the mm. last one was a, last one was a fractured nose. Oh my God. But, um, oh yeah. I've had dislocated ribs. I've, I dislocated two ribs. I've, um, I had piriformis entrapments. I had uh, vertebrae locked out of place in my neck and, Jeez. But the last one was, but most people have far worse injuries. Like I can still walk upstairs and I can still work out and I can still do my thing. Um, but the last thing that happened, the last like big thing that happened was I uh, fractured my nose. Oof. And luckily I got, um, my nose was fractured and it was just cracked. The, the bone didn't actually move. So all, they, all I had to do was just wait for it to heal. Now if it had moved, then I would have had to have it reset and it would have, it would have been a whole thing. But you know, I got used to getting beat up and um, my my threshold and my tolerance for physical pain <laughs> was, um, I realized was high. And I didn't know it was high until I started doing that show. And then that happened. When I was hired, I was one of, in the history of the show at that time, there had only been maybe one other actor. No, I don't know. I was the only person who didn't have professional mu music training or dance training. Oh, I took wow. some dance classes and I took some music. I, I didn't take any, I didn't take any music classes. Like I wasn't a percussionist. I wasn't a musician. Right. I had rhythm. I mean, I used to like bang on lunch tables and be ridiculous. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that kind of thing. Um, but that wasn't, I was never a trained musician and I was never really a trained dancer. Yeah. Yes. I took dance class in college and whatever, but neither of those things were my wheelhouse. They were just things that I dabbled in, but mm -hmm. I was an actor. And so every other person, when I was in the show, and even for many years after, most of the people were either musicians or dancers professionally. Like that's what they studied. And it was such an, an odd place to be. And I think I remember there may have been maybe two or three of us at the time, as time went on, that I can remember, who were actors who just kind of had rhythm and moved well. Like I'm a mover and I have rhythm. I would never proclaim to be a dancer. I know too many ma magnificent people who trained and who are dancers. So I would never claim, you know, claim to be that. I never claim to be a musician. I know a lot of trained musicians. So I'm just like, yeah, I, I like music and I have rhythm and yeah, I move well, but mostly I'm an, I'm an actor. Not even mostly. That's what I trained from the time that I was nine years old. That's 
Right. That was my thing. So it was a, it was a an incredible learning experience, and not just as an artist, but as a human being to be involved in that show, to be exposed to the people that I was exposed to, to learn and expand my horizons when it came to music and the kinds of things that I appreciated, you know, and realizing that I liked genres of music that I likely would not have been exposed to, at least at that age. Right. I went on tour. I was on tour. I hadn't even turned 21. I turned 21 on the road. So I was on tour with a that bunch of musicians <laughs> and, and dancers and crazy motherfuckers. I turned 21 on the road. So my, I grew up, I grew up on tour, which wow. was amazing and also hard. Yeah. I grew old hard. on tour. Well, I, I, <laughs> I did two things that aren't anywhere near stomp, but one was I was on the road with older people when I did, I used to be a host for the auto shows. And so I was one of the younger people and you know, these are mm-hmm. career people. And I was like 20, I was 21 the first year gig I got. And then the next year, you know, I did it again. Um, and yeah, you learned a lot being on the road, drinking with people on the road that are older than you and they're all models and artists and actors mm-hmm. in your life. This is, you learn it's weird. I'm not gonna lie. Some of it's kind of it's weird, but you learn so much about about yourself. It's and, true. Um, Puts you in weird positions. It's more as much as you learn about yourself. I'm a weird animal, and that my life even before Stomp was very very weird, which we might get into. I don't know, but more importantly, I learned I learned a lot about myself, but I also learned about personalities. Yep. and how it is to deal with certain personalities. Like I started on that show when I was 20. And then by the time I had left, I had, I had got run the gamut of being on tour and then being rehearsal director. Like how is the person who is not like, how do you end up being rehearsal director and, and like, you know, dealing with the press schedule and giving notes and, and not being in the show, but sitting on, sitting in the audience and watching the show when you, when you're integrating new people into the show and, running these rehearsals and, uh, you know, so it, in doing all of that, it helped me grow. And I, there is, I am by no stretch of the imagination saying that it was all perfect because it wasn't. Right. Um, but I learned so much about myself and I learned so much about uh, other people and personalities and how to navigate a world of personalities and specifically person, the, a world of personalities of artists. So when I go into these corporate situations or these office jobs and I'm dealing with these personalities, I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like, <laughs> I just take yeah. it with a grain of salt. I'm like, I see you and that's nothing compared to this other had to deal with and had to navigate. When I was 20, nothing. I was 24 and right. I was trying to figure that out. So dealing with you now as a grown person and you clearly have you've got issues. I want to ask you about burning the candle at both ends because I, it was insane because when I was on tour, that was something totally different. You know, tour money is different and tour life is different. No when rent. You move back to New York, you're not getting that tour money. You're getting, you're getting what they, what, you're getting off Broadway money. Mm-hmm. And that is it. You know, people are like, Oh my God, the people from Hamilton are about that's Hamilton. And that's this day and age. I'm talking 
New York in, in 1999, 2000. I'm talking 2001 New York, off Broadway, not Broadway. Mm-hmm. Right. So I remember moving back and having all of my friends who were living in New York who had lives outside of the show. Like the off-Broadway show was their, it was their bread and butter for the most part, their main. But a lot of my musician friends, like I had friends who played at SOBs, like my Brazilian friends who played at SOBs, like Marivaldo and Davi, and they, you know, we used to go to SOBs to hear them play. We used to go hear other people play. We had dancers in shows. And as an actor, I tried to do other things, but that was a little difficult, a little more difficult because you're, as an actor, your time the time commitment is is more solid yeah. and more uh, structured, right? 100%. Than a person, than a bunch of musicians who decide they want to get together and, and rehearse at whatever time they want to rehearse or whatever. Right. Um, and so you, under, you start to understand that and you're like, oh shit, I don't know if there's a life for me really for what I want to do as an actor outside of this show. Like there's a life for musicians and there's a life sometimes for dancers and but is there a life for an actor simultaneously that exists at the same time that, that your time in the show exists. Were you and auditioning? I, that was the hard part. I was trying to, and I did a couple of times, but really what happened was you could audition for a play if you wanted to, but really the, the plays, the rehearsals happen in the evening. Right. I was just going to say, but I couldn't, so with the show. But the show happened in the evening. And by that point, by the time I had come back to New York, I, when I first learned the show, when I got hired, I got hired as a swing and I learned two roles. By the time I had gone on tour and done whatever, I had learned four and a half roles. I kind of knew a fifth role and I had already been rehearsal director. So when you have that kind of knowledge and you come back to New York, you don't know what you're going to be called to do at any given time. There are eight shows a week. You could, if you're technically, if you're full-time, a full-time cast member, you are obligated to do those eight shows a week, even though nobody wants to do eight shows in this show because you want to do six because double Sunday, double Saturday, you don't want to do that. That's hard in the body. So yeah. they try to do preventative medicine, right? They try to have the, the swings come in, but ultimately you have to be prepared to do eight shows a week. And if you're, if you know that you're like, yeah, I know this many roles. And even though you know that technically you're not going to do eight shows a week, you might end up doing eight shows a week. If you know four and five roles in the show, if you can swing these people out at any given time, mm-hmm. you could be doing Tuesday through Sunday. So there somebody else gets a break. You're doing Tuesday through Sunday. It, you're not doing, you, maybe you don't do a double on, on, on Saturday, and maybe you don't do a double on Sunday, but you'll do one show each day, which means you work right. Tuesday through Sunday right. every week. And you have to plan your week, even if, you, if you're off on Tuesday or if you're off on a Thursday, it doesn't matter. You have to plan your week understanding that you could work that you work Tuesday through Sunday right regardless so your only other day your only day off wholly and completely for you is Monday and and yet if you have another job to support your to supplement your income you're going to be working on Monday so you're working right and so for me I work seven days a week I worked I worked 8 30 a.m or 8 a.m 6 30 6 p.m monday through friday mm-hmm. and i would luckily that when i got moved to that sound house that was on the lower east side i could walk to the to the theater i would work 8 a.m to 6 p.m 
get off at 6 p.m., walk across town to the theater in the East Village, on stage, be on stage for rehearsal, like three or four times a week, at least, like in the middle of the week, three or four times during a weekday. And then once or once or twice on the weekend. And then I started all over again on Monday. So I never technically had a day off. And that was for a, a huge chunk of time until I became a, a teaching artist. And when I became a teaching artist, I realized I liked to teach. I knew I liked kids. And I knew I liked to teach. And we taught conflict resolution through theater. We taught all of these wonderful things. And it was amazing. This led me to my time out here. But before I got to that, even before stop, before any of that, when I was just this weird random theater kid at University of Maryland College Park in between semesters, I don't think I emailed you guys this. I don't think I told you. I used to be a phone sex girl. No. Yes. <laughs> I used to be girl six. That was me for a girl minute. Six. I was girl six for a minute, which is the strangest. <laughs> one of the strangest parts of my. I just love young that, adult life. That that was your name, girl six. Like that was. No, it wasn't. No, no, no. That wasn't my name, girl six. I say girl six because that was you know Spike Lee movie, girl six. Oh, about that's the, right. The phone sex girl. Right. That's the only reason why I say girl six. <laughs> No, my, my you... phone's like girl name was something different, which I refuse. I will not. Okay, have don't say. Um, but I love it. That is so but it hap- fucking It happened be- because I, my my friend at the time, one of my best friends was a phone sex girl, but, but she was like doing it also while she was in school. And so she was working her way through school and that was like a side gig outside of another gig that she had. And I was, home, I was home for the holiday from College Park. And I was staying with her like, oh, let's hang out because I'm home for like the Christmas break. And she was like a crazy person because she had all these jobs. Like, what are you, all these jobs? And she had double booked herself for this one job that was on location somewhere. And her phone sex girl gig. I was like, what? Like, please, please, please just cover for me. And I was like, um, I can't just cover for you as a phone sex girl. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, that's weird. And I was like, uh, no, that doesn't happen. And so I, I did on one occasion cover just randomly, just so bizarre. And then after that, I was like, look, if I'm going to do this for you, because we were both home on summer break, I mean, on Christmas break, winter break or whatever. Oh. Like, if I'm going to do this for you, I need to know what's up. And so she's like, okay. So she goes on her bed and she pulls up this like box of pamphlets of all this information about like what's a submissive, what's a dominatrix, what's a whatever, and all these mock conversations. Like it's a, it's a, like there were these printouts of whatever, and I was like, okay, great. Because for me, I'm like, give me the info and I'll study. So she gives me this and she was like, because I have this other gig and I have this gig, but sometimes they double book and I, and I don't want to lose the money because she was trying to pay her way through college. And at the time, I was in. I was at College Park, but then right after College Park, I ended up at, in Stomp or whatever. So that, that first uh, holiday season, which was months, um, you know, because when, you know, when you're on break from, from school and college, your break is like a month and a half, almost two months. Right. So this started at the top of the month, and I was like, oh, shit. Okay, yeah, I'll help you. I don't want you to, like, lose your job or not be able to pay for whatever. I was like, fuck it. I got you. I was like, let's do this. And she was like, okay, cool. You can get part of it if you do whatever. I'm like, yeah, I got you. 
it really became it became a whole thing where I was staying at her house. And at the first time I had adopted her her phone sex girl name because the company couldn't know that it wasn't her that was there. So I was kind of filling okay. in for her. And so what happens is that there's a the people call in a switchboard. Somebody calls in and they say, Hey, I want this person they they talk to an operator and then the operator calls you and they say, Hey, Give give me just give me a name. Give me give me a random phone sex girl name. Make make something else. Go. Diamond. Okay. So you say, hey Diamond, we need you to be a blonde, blue-eyed submissive for 15 minutes. Are you ready? And I'm like, yep, I'm good. And I'm like, okay, great. And then they connect you because whoever the guy is who calls in calls this operating system and they talk about like who you want, what kind of person you want, blah blah blah. And then the operator will call you and then connect you and the dude. <clears throat> so this person, so I'm, now I'm Diamond. And they want a blonde, blue-eyed submissive for 15 minutes. The rules are, you could never initiate sexual, a sexual conversation. The men or whoever calls have to initiate. You just have to be accommodating and pleasant. Um, you can never be um you can never be in the same place at the same time like you can't always be in your bedroom you can't always be in your pajamas you can't always be or like in your panties so you have to have a, a, a great imagination you're in you're out front you're or you're in the garage and you're washing the car or you're washing clothes or you're whatever like you have to change your location you have to change your situation all the time so blonde blue eyed submissive cool whatever you have to make up your measurements. You have to do whatever. So I used to keep a notebook oh God. of what I did, particularly if somebody said, I want to call, I want to talk to you again, because you get bonuses for repeat callers. And if you have repeat callers, you need to remember what you said to them. Right. So I used to have this notebook of, of like the people that I thought might be repeat callers and like what I, my measurements, what I look like, the city I was, I said I was from. You always wait until they tell you where they're from before you tell you you tell them where you're from. They say, "Oh, I'm here, not from, but where do you live?" You get specific. I'm from here. Cool. Where do you live? Oh, I live here. You have to say that you live on the other side of the country, right? Yeah. You have to thousands of miles away to avoid any like I want to come see you bullshit. Right. So once once you get that that down, once you once you get navigate that. Then it's like I had this notebook full of these people who were possible repeat callers. You get you got bonuses for repeat callers. You got bonuses for accents, which is how I ended up perfecting my English accent and how I ended up perfecting like a couple of accents that I had because I was a college student as an actor and I was like, okay, fuck it. The thing that was really weird was the Asian and I I do severe air quotes when I say Asian accent because it's a stereotypical Asian thing that I it's would not do. Like, no phone sex Asian. It was, it was bad. And I was like, nope, not going to do it. That's not me. But like, if you want an English accent, sure. If you want someone Russian, sure. Like, I'll fuck, I'll fuck around and like figure that out. As a, but you could never... Go to Samuel French and pick up the tapes. The right, accent right. tapes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you do this thing like this when you talk like this for them. You know, like this for you. Yeah? Right, right. <laughs> you do it like this for them. You know, you talk like this and they have no idea who you are or what it is. They believe. They have to believe. They have to believe what they believe. You know, you don't yeah. say. You know? 
How much money did they you get paid per call? Was it like? Well, at the time, which was in the early mid, no, the mid nineties, we got like 15, imagine getting $15 an hour. In the yes. And then you got the, right? And then you got the bonus if you did an accent. See, so, this company's legit. They're giving you bumps for everything. They're giving you bumps for, well, they give you 15 bucks an hour, and then they give you bumps for accent. And so, it, and then you got, it, it depend. it also depended on what you were doing. Like, if you were a dominatrix, if you were a submissive, like, dominatrix uh, got bumps particularly dominatrix with accents. So if I was an English dominatrix, that was like a huge bump. And this was in, for me, this was in a four to four and a half, five week period in between semesters for me from like in like summer and like, uh, sorry, winter break before right. I went back to school. And then when I went back to school, I was still kind of doing it. And then I had to end it. Like this is getting whatever. Cause I started, I was in rehearsal for Blind Spirit. <laughs> I can't be in rehearsal for a Noel Coward play when I'm also doing this weird post-technical <laughs> shit. Like, these two things kind of work, but they don't because my English accent is getting super great right now. <laughs> you guys, like, this other thing is super weird and I can't really reconcile that. It got, it got very weird. Did you make good money? But did you did you get to pick? Oh, two things. One, did you get to pick your hours? I did. Did you make good money? Like, I mean, I know what you made an hour, but did you put in enough time where like you got a big check when you went back to school? No, I I made good money. I did. She did. That'd be hard for me. Sounds like you made very good money. So sometimes it's hard for me to leave jobs where I like see that, and I'm like, oh, when you're but when you're young, yeah. And you're optimistic, yeah. And you're um, idealistic. You mm -hmm. know, you don't want to keep doing a thing that you don't feel like is something that you um, um, that is beneath you. You know, you want to oh, do yeah. something that you feel like is a part of what what it is you um, want to do in the world. You know, so you leave it, you leave the money, and then you go this way. And you do this other thing, you know. But that's a good friend who hooked you up with like a cool job. My friend was like, "Hey, I have to leave town. I'm supposed to clean this person's house. Can you go do it for me?" And I was like, <laughs> "Your friend sucks." Yeah, I'll clean their house and get treated like shit. But it was okay, money. I did it twice for her. It was terrible. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, it was the worst. What was that? What was that? Was that the friend that did oh, it? And that just you know she was like in a bind because you know when I when I let it go because I I did the whole thing under her pseudonym under her name yeah and so when I let it go she just continued on under her name they yeah. never the company never realized that I was I was taking over her hours for like six weeks like it was just me everything that has happened to me in my pursuit of what it is that I say that I want to do which is not only just be an artist as, as an actor I that is what it is and I, I want that but what I realize is what I've been pushed to more than that is producing and and understanding what it takes to make something happen yeah actually put something together and so 
all of these random, with seemingly random ass experiences I have lead me to, they all fill my toolbox so that when I get to the place where I want to, I want to, when I want to have the, <laughs> the um, studio that I want to have, when I, when I want to do what I want to do, I will have enough experience in enough of these areas to understand, not just understand, but genuinely respect and be able to communicate in a way where people understand that I understand where you are because I've been there. I know yeah. what that is. Kindred I've been spirit. there. And so for me right now, I feel like I am gaining things from my tool belt with working with, like right now in post-production, I never thought in a million years I'd be in post, but you know what? It's important because that was the one aspect of production that I didn't have an experience in. I didn't really know the ins and outs of post-production and now I know it. I always knew that you shouldn't treat post like the redheaded stepchild and you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't underfund post because most people don't even factor post into their budget. Right. But what I'm now realizing and working in post even more is understanding how important the post budget is, how important the post schedule is, what that means, live action, animation, however it rolls out, what that schedule looks like from script to screen. But from the time that we do the first table read from the time until the time that we get the first animatic, or if it's a live action, from the time we do the first table read to the time we get the first rough cut, what, what that timeline looks like and, and what that budget, even more importantly than what the timeline, but what the budget looks like and why. Yeah. Um, so, so realizing that, you know, for as much as I wanted to dig my heels in and be like, I'm an actor and this is what I do, I had to, it hurt to do it. it I had to mourn what I thought was my acting career mm-hmm. and what I realized was that it was a it was kind of a fake funeral because I wasn't mourning my acting career I was mourning the idea of what I thought my acting career was going to be from the time that I was nine right my life experience and my age is an asset yes. more than anything you know at one point like people didn't know my my poor manager bless her heart I love her dearly and she's like about my she's about it she's like I'm about you let's do this but people don't know what to do with me they get my headshot they see some gray because I've been going gray since I was 16 and I refuse to dye my hair because it makes it yellow because black women problems when you have natural hair it's a whole thing but Mm -hmm. like whatever uh until you get caught in this weird loop of people not knowing what to do with you all that shit I'm like you know what Fuck all of this noise of what people think of, about what I'm supposed to be. What I want to do ultimately is I want to continue to create and I also want to continue to be in a space where I can help the art that I want to see in the world. I want to help that get made. All the art that I want to see in the world, however that looks, if it's me being a part of it actively in front of the camera or behind the camera or however, however that looks, I want to be the first audience for the work that I, that I'm, that I want to get behind and I'm standing behind. I want to be that first audience. We get so caught up in this idea of I've dreamt of this and this is my dream and I'm in it and I'm digging my heels and I'm doing it. But what you could be missing, and this is not to say that you are absolutely missing, but what you might be missing is the fact that Whatever this thing was that you thought was your dream, which is cool, there might be another side of it that you're not seeing. 
because you've dug your heels in so far into what it is you decided you were going to be. Um, but there's another thing that people can see Lynn right now or listen to Lynn right now on because Lynn has a podcast uh, for the oh. show Altered Carbon. Yeah. Um, Sky Dance is, uh, it's Sky Dance uh, Altered Carbon Season 2 podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was like, I've seen season one, but I haven't seen season two. And I was just listening to an episode and you're like, if you haven't seen this episode and this episode, do not listen. And I was like, I'm listening anyway. Because we didn't want to, in, in, in recording those podcasts, it was like, okay, we're recording, we're covering two episodes per podcast, right? So it's like, if you haven't seen these other episodes, don't listen to these. Right, right. <laughs> we are going to, to ruin some shit right now. But this you, is going to spoil it. And you have not fuck up your whole shit. <laughs> your whole shit about to be fucked all the way up. And you have awesome oh, guests on that deal. It's just me and, and Allison Shopker, the um the showrunner. That's of, like a uh, real deal. It was kinda of, it was it was really sort of this amazing thing that happened that randomly I was like, wait, what, huh? And <laughs> I wanted to be like, I'm not the person you want, but I didn't. I was like, Yes, I'm the person you want and mm-hmm. decided to do it. And she was lovely, and it was some of the most amazing conversations I could have had with with an artist and with a showrunner about a show that I love because I'm a nerd, I'm a beautiful nerd, and I love content. And she was so incredibly forthcoming, and to be in that space with her was just she and I, and we covered two episodes of the show for every episode of the podcast, but you know, most people get a little bit of a reprieve, right? They get to like talk to other people, but it was just me and her the whole time. She was awesome. Uh, She responded to the things that I wanted to address. Uh, It was was amazing. And I'm I'm trying to do another one. I would like to, I'm going to put this out there. I would like to do a podcast with Skydance for The Old Guard, that film that just came out. Oh, yeah. It's based on a comic, and I'm chomping at the bit, and I want to talk to whoever they want to give me a chance to talk to about it. They want to, I want to chop it up about it. I think it's amazing. Lynn Wachter, I want to thank you so much for being here. Seriously, while I might be hyperbolic, it was like a big dream goal of mine to have something with you, bring you our worlds together. And I just want to thank you so much. You are such an inspiration. An amazing actress, an amazing comedian. You're, 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 everything you do just brightens and, and, and fills the, you know, our world. So thank you. And thank you for bringing all of that to this set, to this podcast. Yeah. And oh my God. You guys, you guys just made me blush in a way that's inappropriate and I'll just shut up and say thank you so much for having me. I'm so incredibly flattered. But <laughs> well, you flatter us. You thank flatter you for, us. For, for, for coming and doing this. Yeah. She showed on Monday, made love on Tuesday.